Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. It's time for U.S. investors to wake up, according to Marina Severinovsky, the head of sustainability North America at Schroeder's. Severinovsky is on the program today with an important message for our listeners. The U.S. is on the verge of regulatory changes that will require detailed reporting of climate-related risks for companies in all major business sectors. Find out how Schroeder's focus on risk mitigation, values alignment, and social impact are becoming fixtures in the investment landscape, driven in part by investor demand that these issues be included in portfolio construction. Hello, Marina, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Hey, thank you, Paul, for having me. Glad you could join us today, and we're going to jump right in with our first question here. Schroeder's believes that policy, regulation, corporate action, and investor interest are all aligning to support the expansion of ESG investment in the U.S. Tell our listeners how these continuing tailwinds for 2022 are manifesting in U.S. investment markets. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're going to look back on 2022 as a year where where things did really sort of shift. I mean, really started last year as well, but in particular this year. I mean, part of this obviously is the kind of political environment that we're in in the U.S., which we know can be transient, right? We have kind of, you know, midterm elections coming up. But there are material shifts, I would say, in the direction of policy and regulation in the U.S. So obviously the kind of the current administration, you know, more focused on, um, you know, uh, having the federal government treat climate change as an investment factor. The infrastructure bill has a lot of priorities, you know, around sort of sustainable areas like electric vehicles. We've seen movement from the SEC, as you noted, um, with respect to disclosure around climate. We expect um, similar movement um, later this year on human capital disclosures. Um, There's a lot more focus from the SEC generally on sort of sustainability characteristics and, and even sort of obviously policing greenwashing and those sorts of things, making sure that investors are actually getting what they what they think they're getting. Um, and, and then from the DOL perspective, we're also kind of awaiting, um, you know, obviously kind of a, a finalization of the DOL rule um, around the fiduciary standard and prudence um, under, under ERISA um, as to whether or not we can take into account um, kind of non-financial ESG factors and also financial risks from climate change. So from that perspective, you have a lot of uh, kind of movement there. Um, and, you know, some of those things can be challenged going forward. Again, you know, we have a bit of a pendulum swing in the U.S., kind of different, you know, political dynamics. Um, but I think a lot of things are kind of moving in a singular direction in the sense that the U.S. is catching up with the rest of the world. We've obviously seen a lot of development on these fronts um, in places like Europe in the past. And so I think the U.S. sort of catching up this year. That's sort of separate from, I would say, kind of where the, the kind of appetite is, you know, from the perspective of companies and also from investors. And so from the perspective of companies, I would say we see kind of every day more and more companies getting on board, especially with, with kind of decarbonization, uh, making net zero commitments. Now, these are just commitments, um, and these are obviously multi-decade type efforts. And so the kind of where the rubber meets the road is how companies actually approach this in reality, but at least the will seems to be there. And I think part of that is that companies can tell 
part of, of course, is authentic, but part of it is that companies can tell that their shareholders, so folks like us, um, and their broader stakeholders, and and obviously regulators uh, and policymakers, but also um, just just society, wider society, is looking at them from this perspective and has these expectations of them, and so they're responding to that as well. And then from a, the perspective of investor interests. Um, I would say that, again, it's, it's sort of getting higher and higher as this conversation becomes more prevalent publicly in terms of, you know, just investors wanting to, just as they do in other parts of their lives, they want to buy more sustainably. They want to, um, you know, travel more sustainably. They want to maybe power their homes in a more sustainable way. So they're making these decisions on every level. And then they want to invest more sustainably, too. So we're seeing this not just from sort of big institutional entities, but even from sort of retail investors more focused on this. Um, and I can talk to more of that. We've done some surveying, for example, of uh, pension plan participants, um, just to get a sense of kind of where folks' priorities are. But certainly I think the conversation around sustainability or kind of ESG characteristics is certainly much more progressed in the US than it was a couple of years ago in terms of people's focus and awareness. Um, and that's you know, something that I think we were very excited about to sort of continue to educate the market in that regard. Great. Now, you mentioned both the DOL guidelines and pension plans. Let's talk a little bit more about that, because what we don't want to have happen uh, is uh, those important changes that are that are set to go into uh, effect uh, lost in the midst of all of this stuff around the SEC regs. Let's go back to the DOL a little bit and the pension plan um, dynamics. Yeah, sure. Um, right. So, so as, as we know, there's been kind of a back and forth, you know, from the prior administration to the kind of current administration in terms of whether or not, you know, you, you can consider sort of non-financial factors, right? In the prior administration, right, it was, was not, not, not permitted. Um, and now the proposed rule suggests that we can remove those prior limitations and maybe even encourage or require asset managers to consider ESG risk factors when making um, investments and casting proxy votes. And the idea that underlies the proposal is that climate change and ESG factors can be financially material. Um, so they're, therefore, integrating them into the investment process would lead to sort of better risk-adjusted returns. And again, this rule's not been, been finalized, but we have seen recently um, a, 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 an RFI a document that came from uh, the Employee Benefit Security Administration um, that was in February, um, due back in, in, uh, in May, um, again, in furtherance of this sort of executive order on climate-related financial risk, looking for public input on, on their future work regarding retirement savings and climate-related financial risk. And actually, in that document, in that RFI, one of the items, I think it was number, number 18 on the list of items, um, cites one of Schroeder's surveys from last year, uh, where we did a survey of um, defined contribution plan participants, and what we found is that uh, at that time, 69% of plan participants said that if they were given ESG options in their plan, they would or they might invest more in their own plan, which is, of course, the holy grail is to get people to invest more for their own retirement. We just reran that survey this year, uh, literally hot off the press. Um, we have results again, and now it's 74% of investors sort of saying that as well. So from the perspective of both growing, you know, kind of pension allocations for folks and also taking into account these, I think, very, very valid risks um, around sort of climate that are financial risks as well. Um, I think that is where sort of the direction of travel is headed. 
Okay. Well, thank you very much for that update. And we'll, we can include that uh, that's, um, updated study in as an attachment to this program if you'd like to do that. Uh, sure. We're going to move on now, and we're going to talk a little bit about fossil fuel outperformance so far this year. And it's especially important that investors understand their ESG funds and investment performance in context. Uh, this includes thinking about time horizons. So you have uh, talked to me recently at a, at a program in your offices about uh, time horizons as uh, combining short-term market movement and long-term structural trends and the objectives around different ESG approaches, whether it's risk mitigation, for example, or impact or values alignment. How are, how are the asset management and engagement teams at Schroeder's integrating this process internally to the advantage of investors? Yes, absolutely. So I think, you know, one thing that we're seeing a, a, a little bit of now is a bit of pushback, right? It's sort of natural that, um, you know, those questions come up when you have fossil fuel outperformance and people's immediate kind of expectation is that any fund that is sort of ESG, right, and you can label that many different ways or kind of define that many different ways, that anything that's ESG is naturally going to be kind of lighter in fossil fuels, right? So kind of less carbon intensity, um, have less exposure in that, in that sector, um, and that therefore be underperforming at the moment. And I would say that we want to break that sort of association. We will, at least we want to have nuance around that association to say, actually, that isn't always the case. Um, I think there has been some level of, I don't want to say kind of mis-selling, but again, kind of a shortcut to understanding what ESG really means. And a lot of funds that are really well rated on a third-party metric, so kind of your MSCI or uh, Morningstar metrics, a lot of funds that are very well rated from a sustainability perspective, the, the driver of that rating, you know, could be something like um, kind of less carbon footprint or on the social side, having kind of less, um, you know, employee issues. And so those end up being very large growth companies in technology and consumer discretionary, those kinds of areas. Um, a lot of times in the U.S., they, they rate really well. And so when you have, you know, sometimes ESG funds, um, you know, that's what they'll be full of, those kinds of companies. And so, of course, this year, as we've seen some of those big growth companies, which are very kind of rich valuations, come off. And then we've seen fossil fuels outperforming. You kind of, in effect, you start to see the underperformance of those types of areas. But part of that is just kind of the style of investing and not so much the ESG considerations. So I think where we're talking to investors about is that kind of nuance is to say, look, you can have value funds. Um, you can have, you know, energy-oriented funds that can still be um, ESG integrated. So this is where we talk about kind of, you know, is the fund ESG integrated? Is it sustainable or is it impact, right? Are we talking about on the ESG integrated front, making sure that we're taking into account all of the potential risks and opportunities around ESG factors, but not necessarily making decisions on the basis of sort of what is most sustainable, but just understanding the risks and opportunities. It's just a better way to fully understand your investment. And that's required, I think, at this point. But those funds can run the gamut of all sorts of, you know, large cap, small cap, value, growth, international. I mean, it really can be baked into any asset class, some of which can be outperforming right now in this environment. Then, so that's kind of risk mitigation. Then you have sort of sustainable strategies, which can indeed sort of be more focused on ESG characteristics as a driver. And in those cases, yes, they might have less energy exposure and they're underperforming year to date. But that's where the question of time horizon, as you said, sort of comes into play is 
to say, you know, if we are at the moment experiencing a time frame, you know, given inflationary trends, given obviously the sort of the conflict in Russia and the Ukraine, you know, where, where you know, fossil fuels are outperforming, does that take away from the long-term sort of multi-decade trend that we see going forward, a structural trend around decarbonization, where 80% of governments globally have committed to a net zero commitment and companies every day are kind of adding themselves to that list? And the answer is no, right? Just because something happens for three or six months at a time doesn't take away from that long-term structural trend. So in that case, I think investors just need to understand that if they have more sustainable investments, again, with an ESG orientation and the outcome of the portfolio, then there has to be some patience to sort of kind of live through more short-term dynamics and focus on that long-term structural trend. And then the last piece, of course, is impact, which is really where we're kind of saying, you know, I have a values orientation or alignment to a particular outcome, right? So it could be a UN sustainable development goals, for example. I want to achieve something with my investing. And so there I have a, a double bottom line. You know, I'm focused on returns, but I'm also focused on this objective. And so if, if I think investors understand that this is why they've chosen to make an investment, um, then they'll be more patient, again, in kind of riding out more short-term dynamics in the markets, because again, their focus isn't always on kind of return maximization. It can be sort of that together with, you know, other objectives they have from their kind of value perspective. And that's not for everyone, to be clear, but the investors who want to do that, again, if they're sort of fully apprised of, of how that works, um, again, can have the patience to sort of ride out more uh, more short-term dynamics in the markets. So that, I think, is where we, from kind of a, the perspective of the firm, are making sure that we have the right investors in the right you know, um, investments, right, that they're sort of prepared for the current environment, and then they have the kind of long-term orientation to stick with their investments over time, because those investments are aligned with either their return objectives, or as I said, their kind of uh, um, other other objectives they may have around what they're trying to achieve with the money that they're putting in. Yes, as I tell the, uh, thank you for that explanation, as I tell the financial advisors that I consult with, it's very important then when you start working with your clients on ESG integration, that you do not position ESG investing as an asset class, because that confuses, that muddies the waters across the board, and you don't want to be, that. you don't want that to be the starting point of this part of your client relationship. So Marina, seeing ESG through a U.S. lens needs to resonate more clearly with American investors, as we've been establishing. This means showing empathy to the different climate transition priorities that U.S. investors have, extending the conversation beyond climate and into other social considerations, as you've just mentioned, that matter to them, and doing a better job of focusing the conversation in a pragmatic way on the opportunities. How is your U.S. team adapting the success of Schroeder's in EU markets to the huge U.S. potential for ESG integration and stakeholder engagement? Yeah, thank you for that question. So this is a, a, a sort of a passion point for me, is to say that every market is unique and, and the U.S. is more unique than most. Um, and that if we want to have success here in terms of sustainability conversation, we can't come and bash folks over the head with the same messages that we have in Europe because the, they're not going to be received the same way. And I think, you know, you had sort of said it's time for the U.S. investor to wake up, but I think it's also time for the, the kind of industry to wake up on some level to say, you, you know, if something isn't working and we know that there's been a slower uptake in the U.S., especially among certain sort of client demographics, um, then, you know, you have to you have to change your approach. 
And at the end of the day, the U.S. isn't just one market. It's, it's multiple markets, right? It's different generations. It's different um, geographic areas. It's different political sort of persuasions. Um, it's obviously different channels. You know, what's going to resonate in this sort of, you know, um, tapped Hartley, you know, labor union channel might be different than what resonates with public pension plans. And even that, you know, public pension plans in different parts of the country are going to feel differently. You know, private wealth versus endowments or foundations. We have to be able to meet investors where they are. And I think empathy is a really important word and also kind of genuine respect um, for people's priorities. I think there's almost sometimes, um, you know, a moral grandstanding. Um, again, I, I, not that Schroeder's necessarily has been guilty of it, but I think the industry as a whole sometimes is guilty of it, of sort of saying, if you don't understand these priorities, the urgency of the climate issues, then you're sort of like a, like a, a cave person, right? You, you know, you're not with us. And so therefore you just don't get it. Um, and, and we don't win folks over that way by sort of disrespecting them, right? What you have to do is you have to sit on the same type, same side of the table with someone and understand genuinely what their priorities look like too. So, you know, you can have areas of the country where folks do understand the kind of urgency, let's say, of climate change or kind of what needs to be done, but they have to balance that with the fact that their tax base and their communities are dependent and their employee base, you know, their, their people are employed in these industries and they need time to transition in a sensible way. We talk about just transition as a concept where, you know, you're, you're trying to move the decarbonization agenda, but you want to make sure that you're not leaving people behind or communities behind. And oftentimes this is thought about in emerging markets, but it's just as relevant in different parts of the U.S. as well. So from the climate perspective, we think about kind of transition financing. How do we help companies that are not there yet, but they are committed? Um, they want to get there, but they need that transition financing. They need that support. They need someone who's with them long term, is engaged with them. You know, we're very focused on active management and engagement, um, really to sort of, again, to support them in that journey. So that's a component, a very big component of what sort of Schroeder's is committed to. And then we need to, again, understand the kind of just transition concept for different different regions of the country and different communities and, and, and you know, and folks, right? Individuals employed in the kind of fossil fuel industry. So that's one side of it is, again, kind of being respectful to sort of U.S. priorities in that regard. And the other thing, as you said, is social. And it's interesting. I mentioned the survey that we just did. One of the questions we asked in the survey is sort of what really, in it, from the perspective of different ESG issues, which ones really resonate with you? And what we found is over 50% um, cited as their kind of top issue, um, you know, kind of workers issues and labor issues and fair wages and a lot of those kinds of things. Not surprising. We've been through Bringer. Uh, with COVID. We lack the same social safety nets that exist in, you know, some European countries and folks have been hit much harder. Climate came in sort of second, kind of tied almost for second with human rights. This is going to look really different from, from sort of the UK and Europe where climate is always first in place and sometimes first and second. Um, and so we just need to be conscious that in the US, some of these social priorities, and as I said, even the environmental side has a social component to it, that sort of just transition. But even outside of that, some of the social priorities that you know in the US around sort of, again, workers um, and communities around um, uh, diversity and inclusion, those things do matter here, again, to different demographics. And um, so we do ourselves a disservice if we end the ESG conversation at the E and we don't continue on to social and also to governance, which can be a really 
unifying area to talk about. There's, if there's some divisiveness or controversy around, around you know, certain environmental issues or social issues, I think you'll find the governance a very pragmatic way, sort of how companies are run, um, avoiding controversies, um, you know, in, ensuring that management is motivated properly, aligned, you know, with the interests of their shareholders. A lot of things that go into good governance are quite uncontroversial, right? Folks want companies to be well run that way. So we can begin ESG conversations there too. And then the last piece, and I know this is me, me on a bit of a soapbox, but the last piece is around, um, again, pragmatism and also positivity. I think I think the opportunity that is here um, for sort of the ESG industry um, is actually very exciting. You know, and you can always come at something from both sides of a coin. You can come, let's say, decarbonization from a very negative perspective. And you can you can sort of say it's doom and gloom and, and shame on you for not doing this already. And you need to make more sacrifices. And it can be a very negative conversation, but it can also be a very exciting conversation to say, look, money is going to move, right, over the next couple of decades from more carbon intensive areas to less carbon intensive areas, to companies that are evolving uh, pace, to companies that are enabling evolution, um, to companies that are creating solutions for these problems. And there are lots of very you know, exciting opportunities, both in natural capital and also in technology to do things like you know, carbon mitigation, carbon capture, sequestration around the climate side, you know, some of these solutions. And on the social side, you know, things like financial inclusion and, um, you know, uh, mitigating some of the social disparities that we see there, you know, there, there's money to be made here. And there are companies that are focused on this, right. Um, and that's where we want to sort of talk to people to say, is, you know, some of these things are really exciting investments, um, they, that you can have a good return on, and also you can see kind of the good that you're doing over time. And I think it's just a reframing or a different way to sort of say to folks, it isn't all about shame and sacrifice and sort of, you know, sadness, right? Um, it's about opportunity too. Um, and we can get excited about those opportunities and we can be pragmatic again, that, you know, if there is going to be a flow of capital, if countries and companies have made these commitments, so we can see going forward for decades that this is going to be a, a structural trend. You as an investor, let's put all the kind of moral issues or all that sort of stuff aside. You know, as an investor, where do you want to be in terms of that sort of flow of capital? And I think, again, you can have less sort of divisive or, or controversial conversations that are predicated on that. Marina, you bring significant U.S. markets experience as an investment strategist and a director to your role at Schroeder's. How will this serve your goal to create the firm's leadership position in ESG investment strategy and portfolio company engagement? Yeah, thank you so much, Paul. So I think I have been at Schroeder's for 12 years. Um, I've worked on many different investment desks at Schroeder's. And as you said, I've been kind of an investment director representing different strategies in the market and also investment strategists thinking from a kind of a macro perspective. And I think this is really important because ESG is not this sort of separate thing that sits in a corner. ESG is a lens through which we see everything. And it is, at the end of the day, an investment discipline. And so I think the people who can best represent ESG to investors are people who understand that and who can sort of frame it in the context of, of good investing. So again, it's not something sort of, you know, I've had people ask me recently, like, you know, with all the things going on in the world with sort of Russia and the Ukraine and, you know, China and COVID, you know, can we really like afford to think about sustainability? And my answer is, again, it, 
it's baked into all of those things. You can't think about Russia and the Ukraine now without thinking about, you know, fossil fuels and maybe kind of clean energy transition. Um, everything, you know, can be seen through this prism of sort of good investing, which is going to include understanding the kind of risks and opportunities that companies have from the perspective of kind of how they deal with climate, how they deal with social issues, their stakeholders, their employees, their customers, and again, good governance, which is really critical. I mean, really, like you didn't, you don't have to say ESG at all, but just the concept of sort of good company management is really critical to long-term investing. So I think it's really important that we have voices in the industry that have come at it from the nexus of sort of investment and also a focus on sustainability to really sort of um, validate or to show investors that this is, at the end of the day, um, not like a nice to have or kind of some something squishy. This really is good investing. And that if we sort of look at companies and we close our eyes to some of the, the, the realities of what companies face, so for example, is this company going to be required to pay a, har- a higher carbon price in the future? How do we think about a company's profitability going forward in that context? Or, you know, is this company going to be beholden to, you know, new minimum wage legislations or minimum tax legislations or certain, you know, again, sort of uh, new new taxes, new regulations, um, new expectations from their stakeholders? Again, we can't divorce that from our understanding of a company and its future profitability. And and without understanding fully that kind of future profitability uh, potential and the risks to it, you're not doing proper investing. So I think I think what I bring, you know, kind of to the ESG conversation or to kind of what we're doing at Schroeder's is that kind of discipline of investing, again, over many asset classes, um, commodities, emerging market debt, international equities, all the kind of areas that I've worked in and how ESG can be integrated and has been integrated at Schroeder's over the past decade in all of those areas. Um, so that's what I hope to sort of bring to the role um, is that kind of more pragmatic investment driven conversation. And that is what we at Schroeder's want to, to sort of tell our clients is that, again, this is really baked into investing properly done across all of our investment desks. All of our AUM at Schroeder's is now fully ESG integrated and we wouldn't have it any other way. We think that this makes for better returns and lowers risks over time. Um, and so I think having that kind of level of experience from the investment side, you know, makes me sort of a good, um, you know, a good a, a good person to articulate that message. Marina, we're out of time for today. <laughs> and there's so much more to talk about. So we will have to come back and join you for another conversation in the near future. Uh, but for the moment, let's tell our listeners we're online U.S. investors and advisors can learn more about Schroeder's ESG investment strategies and the firm's approach to corporate engagement as part of that process. And how can they contact you with questions that they have about the topics we've discussed on today's program? Good. Yes. So um, even kind of the Schroeder's primary website, um, you know, we have, if you kind of go in there, we have our, our sort of beyond profit campaign. So moving beyond just profit to how those profits are made, which is kind of the side of, you know, uh, kind of understanding, um, you know, how, the impact of your investments. Um, so even on our kind of primary website, you can see a lot of our content because it is very important to us as a firm. And then I think we're going to put into the notes for this session, um, you know, some of the places where you can kind of go specifically to website links and also to kind of email addresses. I'm just loath to sort of have everybody email me just because I will run out of bandwidth uh, very quickly to answer questions, but we'll make sure that you know where to drop your email if you have a specific question. 
Great. Well, thank you very much again, Marina Severinovsky, Head of Sustainability North America at Schroeder's. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Sustainable Finance Podcast.